14. Hear the word of God. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives, our, lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced being fully, fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and a mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. That was such a long reading, I already need a drink of water. Do you notice that Paul goes over those things a few times and is sort of repetitive in those passages as we pointed out before? I believe that's intentional. I believe he's working it through. And that, as you'll see, it's a little bit more than I got it the first time. It's about how do we get this to penetrate more deeply, more fully, and more permanently. So we are on, as I said, the fourth of our Roman Road of Reconciliation series. This time we'll be talking about a new reformation, possibly a little bit of a disconcerting, challenging title for us because 
the Reformation happened and the Reformation that we celebrate that the Reformation happened and I want to talk to you about the next stage of the Reformation. Stick with me, see what you think. So I've been sort of poking fun at people like myself who use foreign languages that we learned in seminary and then translate them quickly in English because you don't speak the foreign languages I learned in seminary. And yet I keep doing it. So I should probably just admit that we all love to do this. We learned a little bit of Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, and we're going to tell you about it once in a while, and I will translate it. This time I had to use Latin because it's really hard to put these solos out there, solas, um, without it, at least quickly. Ruthann already mentioned these. These are the five solas, or we often call them the solos, but you know that, right, if five people are singing a solo at the same time, it's actually a quintet, right? And, and I love the fact that we want to say it's by this alone, but there's also these other four things. That helps us understand some of what we're going to see along the way here is that some of this stuff is just a little bit more complicated than just saying, if you just know this, or if you just hang on to this, it's by Scripture alone, absolutely. That's what started the Reformation, Luther reading the Bible and going, something's missing here. And of course, what he was reading about was grace and faith, gratia and fide, says they are up there, right? And then, of course, those things come through Christ, and once you believe in Christ, then it's all to the glory of God, Deo Gloria, right? So those are those foundations, and I am in no way undermining those five foundational things of the Reformation. They are um, rock-solid things that we need to put our trust in. But I want to talk about these next three crazy Latin words. Orthodoxy, orthopraxis, orthocardia. And apparently our banner editor, Xiao Chong, used orthocardia recently in his um, editorial. So I guess I'm with Chong. That helps. Orthodoxy is right belief, right thoughts, right understanding. And I want to suggest to you that the, um, the historic Reformation was mostly about orthodoxy. We don't seem to have this worked out right in our minds, so we need to adjust that, change that, challenge that, and that led to all the conversations and the challenges that we had in the church and, and all that took place. I think we've always recognized that it's great to be orthodox, but if your orthopraxis, your right practices aren't in place, then it's maybe close to meaningless, right? So you can believe the absolute right things, but if you don't live them out, Right? That's why every time I make small group questions, I want to have at the end of it something that says, and what are you going to do with this? Right? Because you can believe the absolute right things and go, yeah, that's really nice. I know that. And not change the way you act and you're missing something. Now, when Jesus deals with the Pharisees, if you read the Bible regularly, you're probably quite aware he usually had some sort of interaction with them that was a battle. That was a challenge. The Pharisees were the ultimate orthopraxis people. They acted right. He never said, you shouldn't be so righteous. Right? He did say, your righteous needs, righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees. And in the Sermon on the Mount in particular, when he suggests that our righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees, he's talking about it's got to start coming from the heart. How do we change people's hearts? How do we move from, I know how to do this when I try really hard, to my natural reaction is to love my neighbor as myself. Right? That is the ultimate gift. That's what ultimately changes us, is that shaping of our hearts. And I want to suggest to you that the passage we're looking at today is, again, all about focusing on what's the shape of our heart. Not do we know how to do these things, not do we know these things, but what is the shape of and the beating 
of our heart. And just in case you forgot, all of these sermons in this whole fall series are about having real conversations and holding on. How do we have a conversation with somebody that's honest and real about what we actually believe, think, and do, and still hang on to those who disagree with us and do differently than we do? And I want to suggest that this sermon, this passage, is bang on that topic, right? This is about how do we interact with those we disagree with. Now, you start with, it's complicated. Usually we save that for your Facebook posting about your relationship when things are getting messy. It's complicated. I want to suggest that your posting as a Christian about your relationship with God and all those around you should regularly say it's complicated because relationships are complicated. So... Paul's first word seems simple, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Two automatic questions. Which one of us has weak faith? When you're thinking about your conversation with somebody about something you disagree with, are you usually the one who's got the strong faith and them the weak faith? Put up your hand if that's you. All right, we're not into being honest today. Okay, let's leave your hands down then. Right? We usually think that people who think differently from us we're not going to use the S word, but we think they're not quite as smart as we are. And if they just knew what we knew, this is the orthodoxy question, then they would believe what we believe. Right? And then with that, which are the disputable matters? What matters are we allowed to disagree about? That's a very hard one because I would just summarize it this way to start with. The disputable matters are the matters over which there are disputes. Right? It is by definition disputable if you can dispute it. Now we're in trouble. I don't know too many things in this world that aren't disputable. I don't dispute gravity. I don't dispute the fact that if I jump to that step, it's going to stop me right there, but I will definitely go down and not just keep going up. Right? I'm going to prove it. Probably no one here wants to argue about that. Beyond that, even in church, what are the things that we don't dispute? You know why there was a Reformation? Because there's a lot of disputable matters. And then why since then we've managed to chop this thing up more and more so that with our Reformation background, we have a fair number of brothers and sisters who have different um, preludes to their word reformed. Right? There's a lot of disputable matters. And if even saying we could put all those disputable matters away and, and find the ones that are holding us together... It doesn't seem like that's going to be the ultimate solving of all of our problems. Orthodoxy is not enough. We need a further, deeper Reformation, and the Bible has been saying this all along. This isn't new. In fact, the Reformation was about this. We need to get back to Scripture so that we can actually live this out and live out the truth, which is you're saved by grace through faith because God, by His Spirit, shapes your heart, not just your mind. You can know all the right things. You can know which things are disputable. We were going to have a baptism today. You probably know that in the church, there's those of us who baptize um, what we call covenant baptism. We'll baptize the children of believers. And there's those who dispute that and say, no, you have to wait till they come of faith themselves. You know why that's a disputable matter, right? Because both sides take scripture by faith and say, no, it seems very clear that it should be done this way orthodoxy there doesn't seem to capture it enough for us to put us all in the same space it's complicated right what matters is your heart attitude orthocardia you you will hear that a couple more times the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt 
the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. I love Paul's opening illustration because it doesn't get us all worked up, right? We're probably fine if someone wants to eat vegetables only, and we're fine if somebody wants to eat everything. That's not our dispute. It lets us wade into this topic before we get into things where we actually disagree and have trouble. But notice what Paul's talking about here. It's the contempt and the judging, right? And contempt is, I think I'm stronger than you, and I look down to you because you're not as smart or wise or faithful or trusting or whatever it is that you want to judge them on, right? And judging is, oh yeah, you think you're so smart, but you're doing it wrong, right? And you're, pick your label. And notice what he says here, what Paul says, and he says this over and over again in this passage, I just want to, for God has accepted them, right? He, say, he again says what we talked about last week, when God judges, when we leave judgment in God's hands, which is exactly what we're supposed to do, God does indeed judge, and he usually finds himself to be the one who absorbs the penalty for what has gone wrong. God has accepted the person with whom you disagree about any disputable matter, whatever that may be, and so... Paul suggesting, you probably should as well. It's about that simple, right? And this is hard on a Reformation Day kind of thing because, you know, we've done this. We've separated churches, never mind us and the Catholics long ago, but in our neighborhood, others who carry the same kinds of labels as we do. And when you do that, words like contempt and judgment should be ringing in your head because that's usually what happens when we make those kinds of divisions, right? not simple. It's complicated. Well, here's a different case study. Uh, one near and dear to my heart, I love talking about Sabbath. I find it a fascinating theology. But one person considers one day more sacred than another. Some of us would say Sunday is the Sabbath and you need to keep that Sabbath as a different day than all the rest of your days. Another considers every day alike. I would suggest to you I'm in that category. I tend to work on Sunday, so I find that I need to Sabbath in other ways. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. That's Paul's conclusion. Whichever side you take in this matter, make sure you're clear. Wow, Paul, I thought we came here for you could tell us what the truth was. And Paul says, I am. The truth is, on a matter like Sabbath observance, make sure you're clear in your mind, because that's what really matters, and don't judge and don't have contempt. Wow, I thought he was just going to tell us exactly the way to do this. That's what orthodoxy is all about. You say, no, this is a matter of your heart, your orthocardia. Make sure you understand that. And this theme again. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. And you know, Jesus did this too in Matthew 7. Again, Xiao Chong, the banner editor. We had him on a video sermon here this summer. Talk all about that. I encourage you to go back and look at that again. The Bible's main issue with most conversations of difference that we have among ourselves is actually the judgment of your heart on the other person. Not who's right and who's wrong. Not, first of all, your ortho orthodoxy. But first and foremost, how does your heart beat for that other person even when you disagree? Are you tracking with me on how hard this is? Have you had anybody disagree with you lately? Right? I have these conversations on a regular basis, and I'm finding, oh, that's really hard right? This is, a, I'll be honest, this is how it works for me. I think I'm pretty smart and that I'm pretty educated. I'll just admit that right away. And when you come to me and you have a different point of view, 
my instant response, I blame my parents for this, but that's not helpful, is I want to win that argument with you and show that I'm right and smarter while I'm at it. That's wrong, okay? That's not how it works. I'm looking forward to the day, I'm assuming this is the day that Christ returns, when my gut reaction to anyone who has a difference with me is, tell me more about your opinion on that. Now you'll notice, and you've maybe not seen this, I do know how to do that. My orthopraxis is that when you have a difference with me, I will ask you your opinion on it. I'm just telling you what my heart's doing. I'm just being really honest, right? Because you know there's a difference between how we know how to act and how we know how to think, our orthodoxy and our orthopraxis, and what's really going on beating in our hearts, right? And if we can all admit that we struggle in those things, unless it's just me, then I will just admit it then we're more likely to start moving forward on that and saying, you know what, we as a community, we do need to talk about these things, but our main measurement is not who knows the right answers or who's doing the right things, but whose heart response to everyone they meet along the way is one of blessing and compassion and love and concern. Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Those are our marching orders. That's a long task. I know it feels like I'm almost done, but actually I got a fair bit more to go, so hang in there. The refocused place of approval. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. In other words, nothing matters but our relationship to God. And of course, God's our relationship with God is one that tells us, love your neighbor as yourself, right? The only person's opinion that matters about how you function is God's. And if you're not aware of this, we are all functioning out of what we grew up with, our first formation kind of stuff, our experiences, what other people think about us, right? I told you about that small group of pastors that we gathered with the question, why aren't you doing ministry the way you know you're supposed to do it? And it was a short meeting because we all figured it out, it's fear. We fear what other people think of us. We fear how we look. We fear if we're um, being approved or we fear if we're being successful. We fear all those things. Paul wants to remind us again and again, and this is why you do spiritual disciplines, by the way, is you need to sit with God long enough to hear him say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Even though I know all those other things about you that you're going to bring up about reasons why I shouldn't love you, says God, I love you. And when we sit in that, if that's our experience of devotion, then you're, you're nailing it. That's what it's all about. Letting God speak his word of love into you through prayer, through reading, and through all those other kinds of things. All right. All right, we're back to what's complicated. This takes wisdom. Make your mind, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Can you feel with me why that's complicated? So, one, I've just told you that I'm quite fine that all the days of the week are equally good opportunities to have Sabbath with God. For some of you, I just might have put a stumbling block in front of you in a sermon in which we just read, don't put stumbling blocks in front of people. And if we have stumbling block as a veto power, then any time anybody ever says, yeah, I have, a hard, I, know, I have a hard time with that. We can't move forward or backwards, depending which way we're going. 
is complicated. That's all I really want to say about that. It requires great wisdom, right? When do I not do something because it'll bother somebody else, right? So we are talking about indigenous matters. Some people have a different opinion about those kinds of things than I do. Do I stop talking about injustices that I think happened in history because someone else is going to stumble over that? Then I might be just allowing injustices to keep on going. It's complicated. And I just want us to sit and own that, that this isn't a three easy steps kind of a thing. That we are going to actually have conversations about things that are disputable, that we have differences on. It's going to be complicated. Right? Just like when you come to me and you say, well, I don't, I don't like that thing that you do. And I'm thinking, I really liked that thing that I did. When do I know? You're right. I, I, I'm not going to do that. Right? So there's been a few easy ones in my life. Um, I used to do the ride for refugee every year, and then I'd come back and wear the long sleeve t-shirt. And I once wore it with jeans, and somebody was offended by that. I thought, yeah, that ain't worth fighting about. Was I wrong? Not in my mind. I could probably wear whatever I want up here. That's just it's not relevant to God. But for some of you, you go, no, shouldn't do that. Totally fine on that one. But not on all of them, right? You understand what I'm saying? I can't actually do my job. If no one ever stumbles over something that I do. In fact, when I teach leadership, I tell people, if nobody's stumbling over, I don't use that word, but if nobody's stumbling over things you're doing, you're probably not leading. You're just telling everybody they're okay the way they are. It's complicated. I think I've beaten that to death. It's complicated. And it's a matter of the heart, orthocardia. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, right? This isn't peace without edification. This isn't just sweep everything on the rug. Don't talk about things that are controversial. This is edifying, challenging, hopefully doing it. And I hope I'm trying to do that right now. How do you bring things that are challenging to people from the heart without actually making them stumble? Right? I don't know if you do this, but I definitely do. When I'm meeting with somebody, one of the things that I'm listening for is, how much of what I really think, feel, believe, and experience can I share with this person? And I make a quick assessment. Oh, this, I think I can just, I can lay my soul bare before this person. I love that. Or I can say, I'm going to cautiously lob a few balls in the direction of this person. because That might be a little more difficult. All of that, again, is the wisdom of saying, my heart wants to respect this person even where we disagree, right? And I want to do that in a way that also doesn't cause them to stumble. It's wisdom, it's heart, it's complicated, right? This is the whole sermon telling you, you have a very difficult journey ahead of you. Actually step into it and do it anyways. That's what we're called to do. And then finally, again, the vision that we have. Paint on the wall as you walk in. A community of believers being transformed by the love of Jesus. Figuring out what does it mean to allow Jesus to love you, and then how does that translate into how you have every single conversation you have with another person. And measure this. What's happening in my heart? What is my attitude? What is my feeling towards another person as I dare to enter into these kinds of conversations? Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, you did amazing things by entering into conversation and relationship with all kinds of people. Those who differed, those who were similar, those who had all kinds of different challenges in their lives. And we pray that you will continue to challenge us, encourage us, empower us to step out in faith, to engage in the kind of conversations that we need to to be your people, conversations of love and respect. We pray for the wisdom to do it in a way that allows us to grow in our love for one another, our respect for you, for truth. We pray that we would not unnecessarily put stumbling blocks in front of people, but we also pray that we wouldn't judge or have contempt for those who see things differently than we do. Lord, for this we need your spirit, your guidance, your truth, your presence. We offer ourselves to you, recognizing that we're going to trip on this journey, but also knowing that you will pick us up, forgive us, dust us off, and send us forward on the way. May we boldly step out in faith, we pray. In your holy name, amen.